Today we arrive at the fourth and final message in our series, Why Your Worldview Matters. And we've been trying to establish that it matters a whole lot. What is our worldview? In its simplest uh, way of uh, defining it, it is the beliefs that we build our life on. The, belief that we, the beliefs that we build our life on. And you maybe have not thought a whole lot about your worldview uh, prior to us doing this series, but trust me, you have a worldview. You really do. And it's always, as I mentioned in this series, it's always been influenced. Even when you're, you're not even cognizant of the fact that it's being influenced, it's being influenced by what you see in media and social media and friends and people that you work with or go to school with or family members or friends or celebrities. Your, um, your worldview is always being influenced, and that's why we need to pay careful attention to it because really out of the, out of the spectrum of our worldview, we're accessing our worldview every time we make decisions, and we're making decisions all of the time, and you're going to make decisions, I'm going to make decisions out of our worldview. And that's why we wanted to set aside these four weeks to talk about it. We've never really done that much before because it's just that important. And during this series, we've covered a lot of ground together. If you missed any, any of the previous three, uh, you could go back and check those out. You can watch them on demand or listen to those or podcasts, however you, you want to do that. But in week one, in just a quick review, in week one, when we kicked off this series, I shared with you five different worldviews, not because there's only five. There's a plethora of all kinds of worldviews, but I shared with you some of the more popular ones, and then we focused on what is it, why does it really matter what we believe? What we believe really matters. In fact, I, I shared with you uh, in that service that a lot of people say, well, it doesn't really matter what you believe as long as you're sincere. But what if you're sincerely wrong? Then it really matters what you believe. And so we talked about that and how it's so important for you and I to develop an accurate Christian or biblical worldview. That was week number one. In week number two, we talked about, because this is an important caveat of our worldview, and that is where do we come from? I mean, at the, at the basis of who we are as human beings, where do we come from? And we established from Scripture that obviously God is the master designer, that he actually thought of us first but created us last. We talked about that. And what are the implications of that? You and I haven't been created by God. In fact, the Scripture says you and I are actually created in the image of God. That was week two. And then last week, a lot of you were here, and in that week, we talked about the results of living. What are, what, are the, what are the challenges of living in a broken, messed up world, sin-stained world, but then we establish at the end because it's like, oh, that's, man, the reality of that is a little bit painful, but then one of the things that we established at the end of last week's talk is that God is still at work. He is very much at work now more than ever, or at least as much as ever in this world today, and God's got a purpose, and God's got a plan. So today... Fourth, you know, we started with intro three weeks today, uh, ago today, and today is summary day. And you and I can approach it in one of two ways, and I hope that it's going to be the latter in terms of how you approach it. You and I, and by that I mean, you and I can approach everything that we've listened to and been a part of for the last three weeks, and we can have a response that says, so what? You know, just we're sort of passive, we're sort of indifferent, we're not really emotionally or spiritually moved at all. We're just like, okay, so what? It's not that big of a deal. Or the perspective that I hope you will have is now what? 
having heard everything that I've heard, now that I know everything that I know, now that I can tell other people, even as we talked about last week, to help them, uh, you know, you and I would take one of two avenues, either the so what, it really doesn't matter a whole lot, just sort of passivity, or we're going to say, now what? What do I do about this? What do I do about everything that I know? So I want to take what we've been talking about, and in this wrap-up summary, now what kind of talk, uh, mention to you how you and I ought to live in the world. And this is not from me. I didn't make up these uh, remarks. It didn't begin with me. It actually is found in the scriptures. The Bible is exceedingly clear on this. And in fact, we, we can start at a verse that I think is very helpful, and it's going to launch us into our next few moments. So look at this verse up on the screen. Those who say they live in God, read the last part, the highlighted part with me, should live their lives as Jesus did. How many of you think it's a pretty good idea if we live our lives the way that Jesus did? How many of you know that that's what Jesus wants us to do? Jesus lived. In fact, if you have ever wondered, like, how did Jesus live when he was here on the earth? Let me just say this. You've come on a great Sunday because we're going to talk about how Jesus lived his life in response to everything that was around him. So, uh, you know, the way that Jesus lived, it's the way he wants us to live. So this is our response to our existence in this world. And here's some really great news. Jesus lived this way and he becomes a great role model for us. So I'm going to give you this morning, and again, I've said this more in this series than I will in previous series and probably post-series after this, but I want you to take some really good notes today because, again, this is something that you can help other people to understand. I'm going to give you seven things that Jesus did when he walked this earth. There's more than seven, but these are seven key things. I would give you more if I had more time. So I had to sort of uh, distill it down, and I'm going to give you seven things Jesus did. Very very important things uh, that he did when he walked the earth. And by the way, this is exactly what he wants us to do, to, to live the same kind of way. Now, it's not going to take you very long at all as we work through these seven for you to become uh, in a discovery mode that these things are very countercultural to what we see every day of our lives. You're going to be like, yeah, that seemed to be out of step, out of date, counterculture. Yet this is what we know as followers of Jesus, and that's what we are, that's what we're investigating. If you're not a Christian yet, becoming a follower of Jesus, and we know that you and I can either follow the pattern of the world or we can follow the example of Jesus. So what we're going to look at, I'll just tell you up front, it is countercultural. It doesn't come natural. It doesn't come easy. It doesn't come normal, but it's the way that Jesus lived his life and the way that he wants us to live ours. So uh, how do I learn to live like Jesus? Seven truths. I'm going to give you give them to you pretty quickly here in about the next 30 minutes. How many of you are ready? Okay, five of you. Thank you. The rest of you working on your grocery list for Thanksgiving. All right, so for the five of you that are with me, how many of you are ready? All right, thank you. That makes me feel better. I've worked really hard on this, and if only five of you want to hear it, this has been really wasted time. All right. All right, seven things. Number one, Jesus lived with discernment. Jesus lived with discernment. And you're like, okay, Jeff, what are you talking about in that regard, that Jesus lived his life with discernment? It, it means that Jesus, you know, and what he encourages us to do, he lived with discernment, and he encourages us to evaluate things. 
Jesus encourages us to test things. When we are discerning, we are not just buying into and believing everything that we see and that we hear. I hope, I hope, I hope that you don't believe everything that you read. You don't, do you? Well, it's in the newspaper, Pastor Jeff. Therefore, it's got to be it's got to be absolutely completely true. Do you, do you really believe that everything you read in the newspaper or on a magazine is absolutely true? Or do you think sometimes we're just getting part of the story the way that people want us to receive part of the story? Do you believe everything that you hear on the news? Do you believe everything that you hear about what's going on at work or school or et cetera? Uh, and Jesus would encourage us. Jesus was, you know, he's the son of God, obviously, but he lived with discernment. But he wants you and I to be discerning as well, to ask a really important fundamental question that all of us need to ask more and more if we're going to be discerning to ask this question is this absolutely true don't build your life upon things that may not be absolutely true how many of you would agree with that Ask the question, is it absolutely true? Because everything that you think may not be how many of you have heard that expression you only know what you know you only know what you know, and there's things, and to ask that question, and you may think, how many of you have ever felt this or had this experience? You thought that you really knew, but then you discovered that you really didn't know. You thought you knew, but then, you, you know, you were able to access more information, and then like, hey, I really thought I knew, but at the end of the day, what I thought was actually wrong, and now I know you were being discerning. Uh, when I was a kid, this is uh, funny to me looking back, when, when I was a kid, uh, and I grew up in church, and I got away in my teenage years, drifting, came back to Jesus when I was about uh, 15 years old, but, um, you know, I, I grew up, and I would hear, uh, you know, the preacher stand up, and I love my home pastor my home church in Atlanta, Georgia, and he would stand up and he would read that passage. And as a kid, I was riveted. And he would say things like he'd be reading from the Bible and he'd be like, nobody knows the day nor the hour when Jesus is coming back. And I believe that because he'd say it was right there in the Bible and that nobody knows. But then, you know what? And I, and I believe that. I believe that that was true for everybody. I don't think he knew. I don't think anybody in the church knew. I don't think about, uh, you know, any of my family knew, except there was one exception. In my little mind, there was one person who knew the exact day and hour Jesus was coming back, and that was my mamma. And I was totally convinced that nobody else, not even the preacher, but my mamma knew. And she may not be telling everybody, but mamma knew every single thing. I love this verse. Check it out. It's on the screen. Be sure you get these verses down. You can help some people later on. Don't be nitpickers. Use your head and heart to discern what is right, to test what is authentically right. What is being talked about here is, is being discerning. And I love what the scripture is saying here. Don't be nitpickers. Jesus is not asking you and I. He doesn't want us, in fact, to be nitpickers or skeptics or cynical. Listen, that would be a horrible way to live the rest of your life, to live the rest of your life being very, very skeptical or cynical of everything. But this is what Jesus does want us to do. Jesus wants us to use the brain that he's given us. How many of you know that you've got a brain how many of you, I'm not, you know, don't point at anybody near you and just say, hey, uh, the verdict may still be out. But, uh, 
you know, you've got a brain, and your brain was given to you by God when God created you. And guess what? He wants you to use your brain. He wants you to be discerning. So number one, Jesus lived with discernment. Be sure you get this next one. You ready? Number two, Jesus lived with integrity. Jesus lived with integrity. And you're like, okay, Jeff, now you're talking about Jesus lived with honesty. Absolutely, Jesus lived with honesty. But really, integrity is much bigger than just honesty. Honesty is a part of integrity, yet integrity is much more comprehensive than just being honest. I'll give you an example. What is the word, and some of you know this already, what is the word integrity actually means? It comes from the word, what, integral, or have you heard this word? Obviously you have integrated. And so it's that idea of integrity. Actually, if you did better in school in your math classes than I did, you will remember a term that was sometime uh, used that would be um, used to describe a, a whole number. And uh, in, in, in tiger, integrer, I, I can't even pronounce it. That's how well I did in math. But it means wholeness. In other words, having integrity is the exact opposite of compartmentalizing your life. Let me say that again. When you are integrated, when, when there is integrity, you are not compartmentalizing your life. In other words, it's like this. You're the same person no matter what where you're at. So you're the same person at church and the person that you are at church, you're the same person that you are at home. And when you're, uh, you know, at the office or when you're at work, you're the same person. How many of you know that's how Jesus wants us to live? Okay, two of you. <laughs> Let's try that again. How many of you know that's how Jesus wants us to live? What we are at church, he wants us to be that way at work or when we're with our friends or when we're at the gym or when we're with the other girls at work or when we're with our golfing buddies. No matter where we are, our life is not compartmentalized. We're just the same person. We have integrity. I'll give you a verse on this, but be sure you get it. Matthew 5.13 says, you are the salt of the earth. That's who you are. But if the salt loses its saltiness, in other words, if you lose your spiritual edge, how can it be made salty again? It is no longer good for anything except to be thrown out and trampled underfoot. And what Jesus is saying here is just keep that, keep that, you know, salt. We've talked about it in the services here before, the, the value of salt and what it does and it preserves and disinfects and all of that. And that's what you and I are doing when we demonstrate integrity. Now, I, I do need to add this before we move on to number three, that integrity is not the same as being perfect. How many of you know if integrity and perfection are equal, how many of you know that we're all in trouble? Because nobody is perfect. Nobody is perfect. If integrity was for only perfect people, then no one on earth would ever have integrity. But it is to be what you appear to be, no matter where you're at, no mask, and I know we got masks now, but no mask, you know what I'm saying, and no shows and no performances and no pretension, it is being real, it is being authentic, it is being sought in a messed up, dark, broken world. 
And Jesus lived a life of integrity, and Jesus wants you and I to live that kind of life as well. Number three, ready? Number three, Jesus lived with humility. Now, a lot of people may uh, think that they understand what humility is, but their, their, uh, their understanding or perception of humility may actually be erroneous. And I'll tell you before I tell you what humility is, I'll tell you what it is not. Humility is not saying, well, you know what? I'm just, I'm no good. That's, you know, that's being humble. I'm nothing. I'm a nobody. I'm worthless. My life doesn't matter much. That is not humility. Don't forget what Jesus did for you. He loved you enough to be nailed to a cross for you and to die for you. So it is an utter insult to Jesus for you and I to minimize our value and how much that he loves us. Humility, uh, furthermore, it's not the same as, you know, uh, we think, well, humility is like being quiet or shy or or bashful, or reserved, or passive even. Uh, humility is not that. Humility is not denying the strengths, and, and the abilities, and the uh, talents, and the capabilities that God has given to you, but this is what humility, and we could just take a whole talk about that, but I'll just give it to you in a nutshell. Humility is this. It is absolute dependence upon God. That's what humility is. It's like God to, to go about my, my day, to go about my week, my moth, this, this life, to be able to do my job in the context of my relationships and everything that is going on in raising kids and managing money and, you know, just my day-to-day, week-to-week kind of life. God, at the end of the day, I'm always wanting to be just utterly and completely dependent upon you. That's humility. It's the idea that I can't do a thing without you. Uh, you have no idea how many times I say that to God in the course of a week. So many times in my devotional time each morning, at some point during that time, I'm just saying, God, I am so utterly dependent upon you. And if you don't help me with this, 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 I'm just in major trouble. And humility is just saying, God, I'm dependent on you. God, I'm counting on you. And, uh, you know, when you and I are like that, let me just add this. When you and I are like that, when we're like, God, I'm just utterly dependent upon you, then how many of you know that is a great help in terms of reducing stress and anxiety in our life? Because you and I, listen, listen, you and I are going to either live our lives that we're dependent upon ourselves or we're dependent on God. In other words, uh, you know, it's not going to happen unless I make it happen. I've got to make it happen. I'm in control. I'm in control. I've got to make it happen. That leads to enormous amounts of stress and anxiety and worry and frustration. And it's the antithesis of saying, you know, God, I've got to do it all. Make it all happen. I'm in control here. If it's going to happen, it's going to happen because of me versus saying, all right, God, I'm just, I'm grateful for my talents and abilities. I'm grateful for the brain that you've given me, that words, so functional. But, but God, I just want you to know, in every area, in every domain of my life, I am just utterly and completely dependent on you. That is humility. That is humility. I'll give you, I could give you more than one, but let me give you one verse right here. Look at this. This is uh, out of Matthew 11, uh, verses 28 and 29. Jesus, these are the words of Jesus who live with humility. And he said, come to me, all you who are weary. You ever feel that way? <laughs> I am burdened. You ever feel burdened? And I will give you, what's the key word here? What's the word? 
rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I'm gentle and what? Jesus said this about himself. I'm gentle and I'm humble in heart, and you will find, here's the word again, you'll find what? Rest for your souls. And that's why Jesus is saying, come to me, all you who are weary. You know, just, just come. Let's, let's come together. Take my yoke upon you. It's not all about you. And, and being yoked together, by the way, it's not talking about egg yolk here. It's talking about when two animals would be yoked together. And Jesus is saying, you know what you need? You need to be yoked up together with me, and here's what I'll do. I'll do the heavy lifting. I'll do the majority of the pulling. We're going to do this in partnership. You're not going to be on your own. I'm with you in this every step of the way. This is not all dependent upon you in order for it to happen and become a reality. I want you to be dependent upon me. And when you and I become yoked, this is what Jesus wants us to do. He lived with humility. Obviously, he wants us to live with humility. He says, I want you to be yoked together with me. I want you to give up control. How many of you have come to the realization already you can't control everything. Wave at me if you figure that out. Wave at me if you haven't got it figured out and you're still trying to control everything. (laughs) You can't. You can't control everything. And Jesus says, here's what I want you to do. I want you to get yoked together with me. I'll do the heavy lifting. I'll do the heavy pulling. And here's what I'm going to do. Here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to provide you with rest. Give up control. Be dependent upon me. That's humility. Number four. Number four, this is going to be good for a lot of us. Jesus lived with simplicity, simplicity. Let me ask you a question. Has your life become more or less complex over, say, the last three, five, seven, ten years? Has it become more complex or more simple? Jesus obviously lived a simple life. And again, that is so countercultural to what is playing out in this world. Again, life, uh, you know, it's just this. The more complex that life becomes over time, the greater the levels of stress. All of us are busy. Would you agree? John Maxwell says this, and it's so true. The world is run by tired people. You ever feel that way? We're busy. That's what I said. The world is run by tired people. All of us are busy. I never go up to anybody and say, hey, you know, how's everything going? How, you know, how's things at work? I never have people tell me, you know, hopefully they're being honest. I, I, you know, I receive it as being honest. But I, I, I always hear this. I'm busy, man. Got a lot going on. Got a lot of irons in fire. Got a lot of stuff happening. It's busy. It's crazy around there. I never have anybody look me out and just say, you know what? I have absolutely nothing going on. I have no clue why they're paying me. It is a sham that I even get a check because I'm doing absolutely nothing. And what I do is pathetic in the first place. We're all busy. Would you agree? Wave at me if you're busy. We're busy. But it's just so easy. Here's the part that I'm going to just bear down on for just a moment. We're all busy. But it is so easy for you and me to cross an inconspicuous line. Before we know it, we are spending a dizzying amount of time and energy and effort to do what? To accumulate more of what we don't need in the first place and to accumulate more of what ultimately does not satisfy. But we just get in that pattern. You get in that pattern. I know I get in that pattern where we're just more and more and more and more, more and more and more. People who know me well say, you know, something like this, Jeff knows 
knows where his on switch is, but he doesn't know where his off switch is. And that's true, just busy, busy, got to go, go. But at the end of the day, you know, what if you and I, because we know, if your life is my, like my life, my life has become increasingly complex over the years, not more simple. But then how can we adjust that? How can we reset some of our priorities? See, the problem is when you and I become just like so outrageously busy with so many other things, some of the things that matter most in life take a big hit and our friendships. And everybody wants to have friends, at least every reasonable person I know wants to have friends. Uh, most of the people that in this regard as well that I talk to, I hear this way more often. I hear this, man, I just, I'd like to have some friends, some closer friends. I'd like to have some people that I do stuff with and hang out with. I, you know, it's rare, you know, I'm sure there's exceptions to it. Uh, but I never, at least they don't mention it to me, I don't want friends. I don't need friends. I don't want to be bothered with friends. For, uh, who needs them? I don't talk, you know, even if they feel that way. And I hope they don't. They don't communicate that. Most of the people I know. But guess what? You and I can be so busy, so busy, that we don't take the time to cultivate friendships. Can I just tell you another thing? And guess what we'll do? We'll blame other people because we don't have friends. Because it's their problem, not our problem. When in actuality, we're the ones who have allowed our lives to become so complicated. We don't have time for friendships and other relationships. And we lose the commodity of time and, and we can take a hit in our health. Someone has said this, and I'll repeat it a couple of times in case you've never heard it before. We spend the first half of our life sacrificing our health to get wealth. And then the second half of our life sacrificing our wealth to get health. You want me to say that again? We spend the first half of our life sacrificing our health to get wealth. And then the second half of our life sacrificing our wealth to try and get help, health. And so we can sacrifice our ministry. And we're like, hey, you know, when God caused you to become a Christian, he imparted into your life spiritual gifts. Every one of you that are a Christian, you have spiritual gifts. But you and I can get so busy that we're not even deploying the spiritual gift that God has given to us. And that takes a hit because that's the fulfillment of our calling as a follower of Jesus is to have an outlet of ministry. You're a Christian. You ought to have a ministry. And why should you have a ministry? Because you have spiritual gifts. And God has entrusted spiritual gifts to you, not so that you can sit back and say, hey, dude, you want to know what my gifts are? Yeah, it's this, this, this. Really, that's great. What are you doing with them? Nothing, but I got them. That's not what God's looking for. But if you and I, you know, we lose the opportunity to have our ministry. And again, if we're Christians, we have gifts. And if we have gifts, we ought to have a ministry. And, and you know what's even worse than any of those? We can become just, our life is so crazy, so out of control, so busy, so chaotic, so complex, that over time, gradually, this does not happen overnight, but gradually it begins to damage our soul, our soul, our spiritual life. Look at this verse on the screen says this, what do you benefit if you gain the whole world? The whole world, you get it all, but in the process, you lose your own soul. Is anything, and again, this is Jesus, who lived a life of simplicity. Jesus said, is anything more valuable? Is anything worth more than your soul? So again, as I mentioned a moment ago, perhaps it's time that we would just reset some of our priorities. I need to keep moving. Number five, Jesus lived with faith, with faith. That was his response to the world. That's the response that he wants you and I to have to this world. Now, what I'm about to say may be quite shocking for some of you, but I want you to hear me out nevertheless. Often our greatest sin is not what we think it is. Let me say it again. 
often what we think is our greatest sin is actually not our greatest sin. Instead, our greatest sin, you ready for this many times, is our stubborn refusal to trust God. We just don't trust God. Again, it goes back and it's something we were talking about a moment ago. I don't trust God. I don't trust God. So I, I've, I've got to be sure that, that I'm making it happen. And, and, you know, I don't trust God. Can I just, can I do a time out with you right now and just ask you to take a moment of introspection in your own life and just say, you know, in what area or areas of your life are you not trusting God? Maybe you're not trusting God with your family. Maybe you think it's all dependent upon you. Maybe you're not trusting God with your money because you think it's all dependent upon you or your career or your job or your education or your relationships or with your future. The greatest sin oftentimes in our life is not actually the sin that we think it is. It's that we refuse to trust God who said we can trust him. In fact, he said this, two verses, I'll, I'll show these to you. Look at them here. With God, read the rest of it with me. With God, how, what is possible? Everything is possible. Look at the next one, very similar, but look at it, Mark's gospel. Look at this. Everything is possible for one who believes. I love the, the translation that says, according to your faith. I love this translation. According to your faith, be it done unto you. Be it done unto you. I love this verse, that we can speak to the mountain and say to the mountain, Jesus taught this, Jesus taught it, and Jesus had faith. He said, we can speak to the mountain and say to the mountain, be removed, and it shall be cast into the sea. It's believing. It's having faith. In what area? I want you to really think about this. We're not just spending time. We're not just here because we, you know, are obligated to be here. We're here because we want to meet with God and we want God to speak to us from his word. In what area of your life do you need to start trusting God more and just say, you know what? It's high time I turn this over to God and I need to trust him. Can I just ask you something? Maybe you need to turn it over to God again because you've done something like I've done. Have you ever, here's the question, have you ever given it something over to God? You said, God, here it is. I'm giving it to you. Here it is. I'm, I'm releasing. I'm surrendering this to you. And we give it over to God fully for a full 15 minutes. And then we take it back and we carry it again. What area of your life do you need to trust God most? Number six, Jesus lived. And this, this was a biggie. He lived with love. He lived with love. Is there anybody in this room that you think this old, broken, messed up, sin-smitten world could stand a little more love? Some authentic examples of a Jesus-like love. Is it just me? I don't think it is. Does it seem to you as well that there is less and less love in this world? You know what Jesus said? It's not on the screen, but I'll just give it. It's a bonus verse. Jesus said, and the world will know you're my disciples because you have love. That's how the world. Well, you know, everybody, all, no, no, okay. The world's going to know that you're my disciples, above and beyond everything else because you love. And now by faith, hope, love. But the greatest of these, this is not Jesus but Paul, but the greatest of these is 
love. Anybody here think the world could use a little bit more love? And love is actually a big basket that holds within it a lot of powerful reality things like kindness. Could the world use a little more kindness? A little more compassion? A little more grace? A little more forgiveness? A little more mercy? I said to a family uh, member who lives in another state just this week, I said, when I stand before God, it's not if, it's when, because we always stand before God. I said, I would much rather have God look at me and say, Jeff, you know what? You may have went a little bit too far in extending grace. I could accept that. What I couldn't, what would be hard, what would be hard to digest if God were to say, Jeff, you were way too judgmental. You're always condemning. Why do we allow so many things to divide us? You know, I don't have, and, and, all right, I'll just be transparent. I don't have any trouble loving the people that are so loving. Anybody with me on that? I don't have any trouble loving the people that sees life just like me. It's all the others that give me problems. It's the others that aren't always what I think are, un, uh, are unlovable. The one who has uh, made it a perfect example of love says this to all of us. This is such a great verse. Look at it on the screen. This is Matthew 5, 44. I'm telling you to love who? How many of you know that's a real verse in the Bible? I said to you, first thing Jesus lived with was discernment. So check it out to see if this is true. Look it up in your Bible and see, Matthew, if this is not true. Jesus said, I'm telling you to love your enemies. How many of you would agree with me? That is not easy. Not easy to love my enemies. See, to get angry at my enemies, but not to love them. Let them, I love the way the message translation says this. Let them bring out the best in you, not the worst. Do you have anybody that brings out the worst in you? Don't point at them. Please, please. When someone gives you a hard time, respond with the energies of prayer. That's what Jesus said. Jesus said, live with love. Always allow people to bring out the best of you, not the worst of, of you. And, and sometimes we can have that feeling like, you know what? It's their problem. They're the ones who bring out the worst in me. It's their problem. Can I just tell you, it's not their problem. It's our choice. I've got a family member who will remain unnamed because a lot of my family follows these services online. But I've got a family member who was known for this statement. They would say this from time to time. They would say, they just made me this is how they, they just made me cuss. Really? They made you cuss? They just like literally put the words in your mouth? They made you cuss? Or did you just choose to cuss? They made me cuss. They did. I don't think so. I think you choose that. We choose that on our own. And as followers of Jesus... You know, you and I choose a path of love. Here's another verse. I'll give you one more, and then we need to keep moving. We're about out of time. Do not judge, and you will not be judged. Do not condemn, and you will not be condemned. Forgive, and you will be forgiven. Can I just say this? wish I had more time to talk about it, but I need to move on to number seven. You and I need to stop judging the world and start loving the world. 
the people that are in this world. Not the value system of the world, but the people that are in this world. It's so easy to judge and condemn. But Jesus lived a life of love and loved everybody. He said, I want you to even love your enemies. And that was in contrast to what people had heard earlier, been taught earlier. Jesus said, no, no, no. I want you to love your enemies too. Everybody. And the world will know. The world will really know that you're authentic, you're real, because they see in you that you've got love. Number seven, and lastly, got to do this one in three minutes. Number seven, Jesus lived with generosity. Generosity. See, you and I are never more like Jesus than when we love and when we give. For God so loved the world that he gave. And then Jesus came in the embodiment of God. Emmanuel, God with us. That's a Christmas story, isn't it? And Jesus came and he gave. What did he give? He gave the best he had. He gave his own life. He gave the ultimate gift. What happens when you and I give? What happens when you and I are generous? And again, I wish I had more time to talk about this one, but I'll just give you some things to think about as we wrap up. What happens when we give? What happens when we're generous? First of all, and this is most importantly, but we're following the example of the one who said that we ought to be givers. For God so loved the world that he gave. Jesus gave his life. We're following the example when we're generous. Here's the other thing. I'll give you a second thought, sort of a sub-point to the seventh truth, and that is every time that you and I give, every time that you and I demonstrate generosity, you know what's happening? We're breaking the spirit of materialism over our life. We are. We're not only following the example of Jesus who gave the ultimate gift. We are breaking the power and the spirit of materialism over our life, which is so pervasive in our culture today, in our world today. Here's another thing that it does. It determines the blessings that we're going to receive in our own life. Isn't it amazing that God gives us the opportunity to determine the level of blessings that we're going to get back? You say, what do you mean? I'm not sure I believe that. Well, let me show you a verse right here. Look at this verse on the screen. Give. This is Jesus now. Give and it will be given to you. A good measure. Pressed down, shaken together, and running over will be poured into your lap. For with the same measure you use, it will what? Read the last part with me. It will be measured to you. So Jesus is saying that you and I, in a real sense, we could determine the level of blessing that we're going to receive in return. That we're going to receive in return. And you and I get that choice. You know, looking back, I mentioned a few moments ago that I grew up in, uh, in church, and then I got away from the Lord in, uh, in my, some of my teenage years for a brief while, and then 15 years of age, late 15, recommitted my life to Jesus. And even, even uh, you know, with the little part-time jobs that I had, and then my first full-time job, I turned, um, you know, I turned 16 in December, early in December, I had a job, like a full-time job starting like a week or two after that, and and I can remember, I can remember, I don't, I don't know where it was inculcated into my life. I don't know if it's because of what I'd read in scriptures again and again or what I heard in church and just the truth of it all. But even when I was making next to nothing as a 16-year-old, I knew what I needed to do. As I knew I needed to learn how to give and be generous. I've made some stupid decisions with money over the years, you know, looking back 16, so you know that's been at least 20 years ago or so now. It's been a little while. Anybody here besides me ever made stupid decisions with money? 
Hey, can I just take that a step further? Have you ever got something that you thought you really had to have, and then a week after you had it, you realize you really didn't have to have it? You ever had that? Oh, yeah, so have I. And so I've made some stupid decisions. But here's a decision that I made when I was young that I'm so glad I made it. And my life has been extraordinarily blessed for a long time because I learned the value of giving and generous. And every time that we give, every time that we're generous, we break the power of materialism. We set ourselves up to receive the blessing that God wants to send. Well, the measure that you send it out is the measure. How many of you know it truly is true that you can't outgive God? Try it, and you'll lose every time, I promise, because you can. And we're following the example of Jesus. So what did Jesus do? Jesus lived his life with discernment. You can go ahead and stand. We're out of time. He lived his life with discernment. He lived his life with integrity, with humility, with simplicity, with faith with love, and with generosity. And so, Father, we just pray that today that you would help us. That's our response. We're not wrapping up this time as your followers and just saying, so what? Our attitude is now what? What do I do? How do I live my life? I live in a world that is messed up, and it ultimately is headed for judgment. But until that happens, here's how I'm going to live. I'm going to live, Jesus, the way that you live, the way that you want me to live. And my life is going to be marked. There's going to be distinctions in my life that is so evident, so connected to my leader, our example, you, Lord Jesus. And I pray that you would empower us as a church family and as families and individuals to to live these kind of lives. We ask it in Jesus' name. Everybody said. I love you, everybody. God bless you. Happy Thanksgiving. Those of you that are new, I'll see you out at Guest Central. God bless you.